0: Children are discriminated against simply by virtue of their age. We've got a very strong basis, both from a moral perspective and also from an ethical and legal perspective, um, about why there is a justified case to be made for giving children the vote. A young child is not going to have the cognitive development that's going to enable them to cast a vote. We trust parents. In all other respects, for representing their children's best interests, let's trust them in the ballot box.
1: Hello, my name is Rachel Egbecko. I'm the Senior Editor of Archives of Disease and Childhood, or ADC, and a consultant in paediatric intensive care. Welcome to the ADC Spotlight podcast, we cover areas that don't usually get much attention or might be taken for granted. The aim being to engage in dialogue and inquiry, being curious how we might do things differently. This time I will be talking with Professor Nina Modi to discuss political representation of children and young people. After getting over the first shock of Don't Be Ridiculous. Have a listen and see where you stand after this rather exhilarating and thought-provoking 20 minutes or so. Nina is the author of the paper, Votes for a Better Future, which you can find on the ADC website. You may also be interested in the accompanying letter, Age of Consent, which was co-authored by a young person, Joe Brown, as well as co-peer-reviewed by young people. Visit our website on adc.bmj.com, where you can read both articles for free for a month. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I certainly did. Welcome, Nina. Um, um, Before we begin, please could you introduce yourself to the listeners in the context of the paper that you wrote?
0: Of course. Hello, Rachel. Uh, My name is Nina Modi. I am Professor of Neonatal Medicine at Imperial College London. I'm also the immediate past president of the UK Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health and the President-elect of the UK Medical Women's Federation and I should uh, make quite clear that I'm doing this podcast in personal capacity and not speaking on behalf of any organisation.
1: Thank you, thank you Nina. So, two paediatricians talking about um, votes for a, for a better future. What, why might this topic be of interest for paediatricians rather than What one might think specifically beyond the uh, the uh, the general interest in the in the public.
0: Well, I I wrote this paper um, with with making two principal points. First of all, that um, the voting age should be lowered. Uh, But the major part of the paper was about the possibility of considering proxy votes. which parents would hold on behalf of their underage children. And the reason I wrote this is because we have, as a society or societies as nations, we've become increasingly recognising of the fact that for recent times, short-termism seems to have dominated thinking. Um, We're still, as I said in my paper, in the age of immediate gratification and the quick win, and also, we're in an age when we have a very extraordinary spectacle of some really rather intemperate politicians around the world, um, in the UK and around the world, who do not appear to be thinking necessarily about the future of the planets, the future of countries, but are appealing to short-termism. And it's that that made me reflect on whether something could be done about this by considering the child's perspective and of course this is where paediatrics comes in because paediatricians have always advocated on behalf of children
1: there is something about becoming a paediatrician and choosing uh, to be a doctor uh, that that we think about children currently as well as um, their uh, their future And in in, in so doing, we might have conversations, we see our children, we have conversations with with parents and their carers. So where do you think the agency of pediatricians lie in trying to at least have a conversation about this topic? Because it might be quite different to the thinking that currently is held.
0: I think pediatricians have always held a role as, as, as advocates for children and their role in this particular issue is, I think, to stimulate d- debate and discussion, um, to make the case, um, to point to the consequences of failing to enfranchise children, um, and, and to make the case not only for why this might be a, um, a morally correct way to proceed, but also to provide some some pointers towards how one might actually implement um having the voice of the child heard in democracies how we might get that actually operationalized in practice
1: so to have that conversation we might then talk a bit about what the underlying um principles uh might be to entertain uh, giving the vote to children or having parents having uh, their child's vote in uh, um, in custody, potentially, as a steward. Could you comment a bit on, on the underlying principles? Absolutely.
0: So the underlying principle is, is the principle of democracy. And uh, the, the democracy is wildly, widely held to be one of the most successful political systems in the world. And okay, democracy is not perfect, but it is nonetheless held to be the best. And it's been a very, very powerful concept for modern times. But at its heart is the very simple principle, one person, one vote. And of course, democracy absolutely enshrines the view that no individual should be discriminated against on grounds of gender or sexual orientation or racial background or um, place of birth or so on and so forth. And yet, and yet, and this is the important point for pediatricians, I think, to recognize children are discriminated against simply by virtue of their age. And therefore, in a democracy, they have no voice, they're silenced, they're disenfranchised. Um, So that is fundamentally, I think, counter to all of the thinking that underlies the rights of the child. And the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child is also enshrined in many countries in the legal systems of those countries. So I think we've got a very strong basis, both from a moral perspective and also from an ethical and legal perspective um, about why there is a justified case to be
1: made for giving children the vote. So let's accept that. Let's say it's the logical conclusion um, um, in the process over time where uh, previously people wouldn't have the vote either based on the amount of money that they might have or their gender um, or their race Um, and now seeing children as um, citizens uh, and we see that in the in the world where children or young people are trying to have a voice uh, such as in um, gun violence or uh, climate uh, catastrophes We now see that translated to, in your paper, giving children the political vote um, and having them exercise that. Now, you make the case for two things. One, lowering the vote for children directly. um, And two, uh, giving parents a vote uh, by proxy. So could we think about how parents might be able to do that? That's one thing bearing in mind that they, uh, it's not their vote, it's their child's vote. And the second thing would be, and i practical, where would you draw the line where for children to start to vote themselves?
0: Sure. So let's, let's take those two components. And let me start by just reminding everyone that, of course, in this country, um, the age for uh, sexual activity, for joining the military, for paying taxes, uh, is all 16. And in, um, in, in local elections, so for example, in the Scottish referendum, the age of voting was 16. Now, it makes sense, therefore, it, may, it seems logical that the, the, the to, bring, to comment on your, your second point first, it seems absolutely logical that the age for voting in national elections should be reduced to 16. If you can trust children to pay taxes, join the military and have sexual activity, at 16. Surely, surely they should get the vote at the age of 16. So that's my first argument. And this is already starting to happen um, in a very piecemeal fashion in this country and, uh, in other words, in the UK, as well as around the world. And this sort of inconsistency doesn't serve anyone well. This is happening. This is coming. We might as well just get on with it and say, let's lower the voting age to 16, full stop. Now, what about children who are under the age of 16? Well, I've made the case that their voice should be heard because otherwise we're simply harking back to a time when, for example, women were considered inferior and couldn't have the vote, and non-white races were considered inferior and couldn't have the vote. And uh, this view has obviously changed. Society's attitudes change. So children's perspectives do need to be taken into account. But obviously this depends upon... um, uh, a biology, because um, a young child is not going to have the cognitive development that's going to enable them to cast a vote. And therefore, we need a practical way through this. And paediatric practice, I think, gives us that opportunity, because paediatrics in the UK certainly has always recognized that when we are engaging and interacting with children, we need to take their evolving maturity into account. We'd always consult them, even little children, we would speak to them, in, it's absolutely part of standard practice, that as soon as you can interact with a child, you interact with them, and gradually as they grow older, you take their their views, that dialogue, into account to greater and greater and greater extent. And that perspective about evolving maturity is, as you know, enshrined in English law by the Gillick case of 1985. Um, and um, Victoria Gillick was a, was a mother who contested the guidance of the Department of Health that contraception could be pre- prescribed to children under the age of 16 years without parental consent if, in the doctor's judgment, the young person was competent to um, understand the issues and make a decision. And in this very landmark decision, the law lords rejected uh, Victoria Gillick's view and laid down that the authority of parents to make decisions is not absolute but diminishes as the child's maturity evolves. Now, turn that on its head and you will see the justification for me saying, let's give this proxy vote to parents during the period while their child's maturity is evolving. We trust parents in all other respects for representing their children's best interests. Let's trust them in the ballot box with representing their children's best interests. Let's give them a proxy vote. On behalf of their child.
1: That sounds like a, a very logical conclusion, there, uh, Nina.
0: Thank you, Rachel. This is the <laughs> case I'm I'm hoping to make, both to paediatricians and
1: to the wider world. Uh, to be honest, when I first read the uh, the paper, I thought, really. Um, so it takes some time to get round going from an initial, oh, to let's think that through, and go through the the, the ifs and buts and uh, how is that potentially going to be uh, misused? Um, uh, People coming up and sort of saying this change is just going to lead to parents um, having more children. What if there's a dispute between parents? What if there's one parent? What would you say to that?
0: So I'd say that these are all very natural and normal uh, responses and I've met all of them. Uh, this, this idea of a child proxy vote is not mine. It's been around in various shapes and sizes and forms for a while. But I have taken the opportunity as I've lectured around the world and as I've met colleagues from here, there and everywhere to actually discuss this. And uh, I've discussed it with both paediatrician colleagues as well as with colleagues um, who, are, who are not doctors. And what you've just described is, as I say, a very normal natural reaction because people usually say, oh, oh, and they look at me as though I'm saying something silly. And then they they pause and they say, oh, well, actually, maybe we should think about that. Some of them then say, actually, this um, this would empower irresponsible families who've got many children. I find that, quite frankly, are rather offensive because a child is a child is a child, and a child deserves to be heard. I think the argument that that people would, would parents might irresponsibly have extra children just to get an extra vote seems a bit silly. Having a child is a very big decision, and I don't think any families would do that simply to get an extra vote. Um, I think also that the the, um, argument that that some people have is that parents shouldn't be advantaged over non-parents is failing to understand the point I'm making which is that it's not about giving parents extra votes it's giving each child a voice um, and again I come back to that fundamental principle of democracy one person one vote so I'm not talking about giving parents extra votes I'm talking about entrusting a parent with a vote on behalf of their child until their child is old enough to exercise that vote for himself or herself so I think if you take Each of the responses or each of the um, reasons for rejecting this argument one by one, they can all be countered in a very um, sensible and logical way.
1: So would you say that there is no valid notion to oppose a vote for children being held proxy?
0: I can't think of a, a valid ethical or moral reason to oppose this i can understand that people might think about how this might be implemented in practice which is why i've also suggested that uh, it is a simple issue of simply allocating to a parent or a legal guardian that vote on behalf of an individual child every child needs has a legal guardian and it is that legal carer that legal guardian that that parent, who should hold this vote. Um, And I see no reason why, in the case of parents, um, the parent shouldn't be asked, which one of you would like to hold this this trust? Which one of you should be um, entrusted with this vote? So I think the operational issues have got clear ways forward. um, And therefore, the next step if you accept the moral argument, you accept the ethical argument, and you accept that it can be operationalized, the next step is enshrining this in law. And here too, we have a framework because I think the conceptual framework is already encompassed within the um, the rights of the child.
1: So, have we spoken with children and young people themselves? What What is your experience from their point of view?
0: That's a very interesting. Uh, the question Rachel thank you thank you for asking that and I think we need to ask that question a bit more because just as adults um, respond in these initial with these initial um, uh, sort of visceral uh, responses before they take a step back and think about it so too I think children have been responding with these very initially vis- visceral responses so so some children initially and by children I mean some young people who I've raised this with say, oh, we don't want our parents to vote for us. No, 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 no. We don't want our parents to vote for for us. We want to vote for ourselves. And then they take a step back and they say, oh, actually, hang on. Nina's saying she'd like the voting age to be lowered to 16. We absolutely agree with that. Uh, But we do then recognize, what about children who are younger than 16? And clearly, if if this notion of giving children a voice is going to fly from a legal perspective, we've got to get this enshrined in a very objective way into law. And clearly, you can't say, we want to give um, an infant or a baby in arms the vote for them to cast themselves. That's clearly a nonsense. Developmentally, they're not ready for it. And at that point, the children, just as the adults, start thinking, the young people start thinking, just as adults start thinking and say, oh, well, actually, My parents do speak for me on all sorts of other things. And actually, I can influence the way my parents uh, thinks. And of course, I can have a dialogue with my parent. And we've seen the power of this with the climate change movement. So at that point, children and young people start to say, OK, if we're going to get this enshrined in law, then we've, we've got to entrust our parents when we're very little. But there's absolutely no reason why, as we grow up, we can't influence our parents go with them to the ballot box and say to them, Mum, dad, I want you to cast my vote in this way now that too is not um, you know is not as as, as as loopy as it might sound because um, I referred to a, um, a, a, a a Danish study that shows that That one that parents are more likely to vote when their child joins the electorate. So in other words, children are influencing the way parents behave. Um, And as pediatricians, we know, as parents, we know that children do influence the way in which parents start to think about things and the way in which parents behave. So I think there's a two-way dialogue here. It's not just necessarily parents telling children what to do, and saying to them, I'm going to vote for you in this way, but it's actually children having a dialogue with their parents and saying, let's talk about this, let's talk
1: about how I want you to cast my vote. So it seems to me that, that maybe um, we could enable some of those conversations with young people, be that in, uh, in schools um, um, or, uh, or other forums. Is that happening, do you think? I don't know whether it's happening. I certainly
0: haven't been part of any uh, a systematic um, approach to children and children's organisations and children's groups. What I've done so far, I've done informally. But again, mm. I think this would be the most magnificent thing for the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health and for perhaps for, uh, for UNICEF, for other children's organisations to take on Let's get a dialogue going, let's get a conversation going. Let's not just ask uh, the public and parents for their views, but I absolutely agree with you. Let's ask children and young people for their views as well.
1: We've spoken about proxy votes. We've spoken about reducing the age where children or young people can vote. We talked about how uh, pediatricians uh, might be able to have that conversation, Uh, how the wider public um, and children need to be brought into it, at least a conversation to do that. And we're talking about the UK. However, this is not a UK issue. There's wider implications for trying to uh, translate the principle into practice. And you just mentioned um, uh, other countries that where that is uh, uh, is potentially also happening. My understanding is that uh, Japan and Hungary um, uh, as well as Denmark um, uh, may have had uh, conversations for a slightly longer time. Do you know um, where that is currently at?
0: So the conversations that have taken place in other countries have not necessarily been precisely along the lines that we've been discussing today because extra votes for parents have been proposed by other countries, but they haven't necessarily been proposed under the conceptual framework that I'm proposing. I'm saying very, very simply and clearly that the rationale for a proxy vote isn't that the parent gets an extra vote or a part vote, but is entrusted for a short period of time with the child's vote. Other countries have um, discussed this in different ways. Some of them have Uh, for example, and I think Japan has been one such country because Japan has got a very, very rapidly aging population. And I think they've proposed it as a counter to gerontocracy, Uh, the argument being that where you have a very rapidly aging population, the electorate is increasingly representing the views of the age, that end of the demographic, the older demographic. And uh, there's been a discussion about how do you counter that but well, one way in which you counter it might be to give an extra vote to families with young children. That's not what I'm talking about. I know it's very, it may sound very similar, but the conceptual framework is different. And then, of course, there's been the discussion of this so-called demony vote voting, where you give parents an extra half vote for each child. Again, that's not what I have in mind. So. I don't know the extent to which this has been actively discussed in other countries. Of course, what is very definitely happening in other countries is a lowering of the voting age to 16. And many countries have done this um, for regional uh, voting. But the discussion about the proxy votes for the younger child is one that needs to be, needs to be promoted
1: globally. Thank you, Nina. That was fascinating speaking with you about a potentially contentious um, topic. However, talking this through, there's only one logical conclusion in my mind.
0: Thank you, Rachel. I, I hope that that one logical conclusion uh, conclusion is firstly, let's lower the voting age to 16, and let's have a really active conversation about entrusting parents for a short period of time with a proxy vote for their children so that we can truly, truly uphold the principles of democracy, which is one person, one vote, and also uphold pediatric principles which are and and family principles which are that the child's voice deserves to be heard.